0: You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam.
1: To change the message of the gospel to make it more friendly, but we will speak the word and we declare that signs and wonders and miracles will follow us. Jesus, as you stretch out your hand to heal. And we will speak the word of God with boldness, and we will declare it to this nation, and we'll do so in love, because it's our desire, Father, that your kingdom, that your kingdom benefit, and that people be made well, people be made better, that that people are, are, are made to see that they were created in the image of God. And we thank you for this in advance in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You know, God looks on us, mankind, much differently than than we do. And thank the Lord for that. God looks through a lens of faith at us. He is looking for faith. In fact, as Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith? You know, he didn't say, when I return, will I find people praying? He didn't say, when I return, will I find people handing out food? No, he says, when I return, will I find find faith? Because that's how God looks, is through his lens of faith. Because it's through this lens of faith that he established his covenant. We are covenant people. And even though we don't live in an agrarian society, you know, here, our society is not real agricultural here. Now, you can still see some orange groves around, and uh, it used to be you could smell the dairy farms. You know, I love dairy farms. Sunday morning when I get to church, it's not really what I want to smell, but praise the Lord. You know, so my family were homesteaders. 1873, they homesteaded in a community called Yelm, Washington. You know, one of my uncles who's 94, 95 right now still lives on 200 acres of the original homestead. And he's still living in the original homestead home. Now, they've added on, and I, I will tell you it's more comfortable in the additions where they're well insulated than The original homestead home. But see, we don't think necessarily in the terms of agriculture. We don't think much. But you know what? In Jesus' day, they did. And so a lot of the messages that that are given to us are given to us through the lens of that mentality. The mentality so that they could understand the principles of sowing and reaping. You know, there's an order to things. You don't get to reap before you sow. Though the world always says, you know, if I reap, then I might sow. Though they rarely do. And you can see that from when, when politicians have to release their tax returns. They're plenty happy taking your money, but you can tell from their tax returns, they're very poor at giving any of theirs. Amen? <laughs> so... We've looked at our historical basis through the lens of the Bible, where this this country was established. We've also looked at the fact that that evil seeks to control, to diminish thought and speech in this evil day. And we we saw through history that there have been other evil days that also were uh, preceded By governments trying to control thought and control intent and action. And we can see it in our modern day society. This new uh, woke culture that tells us we have to be certain things that they certainly are not. Because if you say anything that they disagree with, they start riots. I'll quote the news forecaster, though, they are mostly peaceful. As you see the cars and cop cars burning in the background. But when you don't agree with their agenda, they put on black hoodies and black masks. And in the name of anti-fascism, they use fascist tactics to try to beat you into submission. This is an evil day. But we looked at how many societies have... Progress this way, in fact, is uh, Hitler's Germany progressed this way. And we looked at Bonhoeffer's stance against the German army. He refused to bow during his time. We looked at the breakdown in the family and how really, the breakdown on this family and the family unit is a predecessor to the woes that the world is really looking for us to get to because if they can get, create enough chaos in society they can take away your rights in the name of security and we looked at the church's evil day of complacency the fact that the church has not spoken up the church has not stood up the church has so much wanted to not be of the world that they weren't in the world and this nation that was founded by godly people for a godly purpose has been turned over to the world so much so that that they though they say it's not a disqualifying factor in ability to run they've said that it's a a, a disqualifying factor to hold office if you are a strong christian or a catholic or or have some other moral basis because they try to tell us that government's should be secular in nature. But 95% of our 225 founding fathers didn't believe so. They believed that this nation was founded upon God's laws. And so, then we wanted to go and take a look at covenant, because really, our founding fathers entered into a covenant when they issued the Declaration of Independence. It was a covenant amongst people where they pledged life, liberty, their fortunes, their sacred honors to each other and to the people who would be of these 13 United States of America. But it was a covenant based upon God's covenant. And so it's important to understand The covenant, because covenants do matter. But this nation, more and more, is becoming a covenant-less people. And yet God is a covenant God. And He works in accordance with His covenant. You know, it's amazing to me that some people don't know what God's will is for their life, and yet He created a covenant that told us exactly what His will is for you. Oh, pastor, but I don't know if God's will is for me to go to Africa or if God's will is for me to go to Guatemala or God's will is for me to... Well, you know what? God called you to be a minister of reconciliation. Why don't you get out and start reconciling the world to God and you'll be amazed at what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, where He sends you to do it, the doors He opens for you, the opportunities for you, you know, God wants you to know His will. That's why He wrote it. That's why He gave it to us. So we would know His covenant. His covenant is His will for us. Amen? But a covenant requires mutual assent. You know, when God came to, to Abraham, He didn't say, Abram, I have made a covenant, and here's what it is, and if you don't do it, I'll kill you. Well, you're laughing, but... That's what totalitarianism does. That's what communism does. They say, here's the covenant, and if you don't do it, we will kill you. If you oppose us, we will kill you. So it requires mutual or voluntary assent. A definition, it's a coming together, it's a meeting of the minds, it's where we agree on something, and God says, here's my covenant. And Jesus came and said, Hey, here is my covenant written in my blood. If you agree with the, the benefits and the requirements of this covenant, receive me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? And when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, when we became born again, we mutually agreed with God. It wasn't forced on us, it wasn't religion where I was born, and then when I I turned a certain age, I had to go to these classes and do these certain things. And when I got to another age, I was allowed to do these other things. And then if I didn't do certain things, you know, I'd get a knock on my door. Or they'd tell you that if you mess up, if you don't follow these things that we have detailed, that we have determined are what God wants you to do, well, then God will knock you over the head with a big stick. Right? See, that's not mutual assent. That's why religions religions do not bring life. Relationship brings life. Religions bring condemnation. So let me read you the de- a definition of covenant. It's the promise of God to man. That man's perfect obedience should entitle him to happiness. Do this and live. Or do that and die. See, anti-covenant forces, this spirit, the satanic spirit of the Antichrist that's at at work in the world, it it seeks to separate you from God's covenant. It seeks control. That's what religion does. You know, religion seeks control. There is a lot of very good, even uh, I would say Protestant denominations that started out in faith. They had, they, were, they had a good motivation. They got together for the purpose of being holy. Living sanctified lives. But you know the problem is? Then man got involved. Right? Because they determined that, that if they prayed an hour a day, God was doing miracles in their midst. So all of a sudden now, hey, this is a doctrine. you got to pray an hour a day, right? And then... You know, they got these benches in the front, and people started coming and praying at these benches, and they're getting healed. Therefore, don't ever touch the benches. That's a doctrine in this church. I'm only saying that because my wife and I were attending this church. We were actually leaders in going through our ministry internship program, and we were helping the pastor, you know, grow the ministry and and, uh and and look at things differently inside this denomination. And and so one of my recommendations was, they had this big bench. I mean, it it was probably 12 feet long. It had been there since like 1940. Because some saint of the organization had donated it, and something happened back in the 1940s, some great revival within the church, and this thing was associated with it right? But it did not function well. It made it hard to pray for, to pray for people, to call people up and pray for people. And so um, I said, you know, pastor, I said, here's the recommendation I have. Take that bench and cut it in half. Move it to the sides. And his first response is, we can't do that. He says, People rebel. I said, no. I said, we've got a guy in here who's a woodworker. He can make it look like the same bench, but it'll be two just like the same one. And I said, you know, people probably won't even realize because now you'll have two benches. It'll look like one, and they probably won't say anything, right? And then they had um, these two flags, and they were on tall flagpoles. And the soffit was, I think it was a little bit lower than this one, but, you know, and it wasn't quite as deep, it, it, it came back here, so this was all open, and then there was a soffit, and the worship team, and the, and the Oregon, the, you know, the Wesleyan was over here, um, but I'm like, pastor, I said, it, it, things will function better if you clear this up and make it viewable, oh, we, we, can't touch the, we can't touch those flags. So-and-so donated those 30 years ago, and they were a pillar in the church. And look, and on the base, it had their name on it, donated on. I said, Pastor, I said, here's what you do. You take the poles out, and you cut them down. And then you slide them back there, and it will look like they're the same height as they were when they were up here. And people won't even notice. And so we did those changes, and people didn't know. They didn't say a thing. They could still come up and pray on their, on their benches if they wanted to, which you know some did on Sunday morning. They came out and knelt, knelt and on the bench. But sometimes we make these, these sacred cows. Uh, we make these things, and, and they become hindrances to what God's doing because they're not a, they're not a part of relationship. For their day, they may have been important. I mean, some of, you, some of you, I'm going to call you old-timers, some of you that were here, and remember back to 2014, and the great lectern debacle, right? We had a lectern, and it became a problem. It had been here for years. It needed to stay here. Oh, no, it belongs to so, you know. It's like, whew, just get rid of it. And praise the Lord, Craig Stooling built a really beautiful lectern, and it was very big and fun- functional. The problem was, it was big. You know, it was, it was big, and that was it. It was beautiful, it was big, and it's now serving in another church. Praise the Lord. But some of these things can become, well, you can't move that one. That one's been here since so-and-so, and so-and-so built it, so-and-so donated it. so-and-so did something. If anything ever becomes like that in your life, you've got a hindrance to relationship because God is not in the thing. God uses things. You should use things and stay in relationship with God because God will lead you. He's not into control and sometimes those things can be used to control people. You've got to do it this way. It's got to be done on this day. It's got to be done at this time. You know, it's interesting, when when Jesus was uh, confronted about the Sabbath, he said, well, yeah, I've read the scriptures about the Sabbath. See, you guys totally missed the whole point of the Sabbath. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. See, he was saying that God told you to rest on a day so that you could relate with him. He didn't tell you to rest on a day so that you could build a religion out of it. Make it a sacred cow. And if somebody has a withered hand, they can't be healed on the Sabbath. You know, you got a woman who's been bound for 18 years. For 18 years. 52 Sabbaths a year for 18 years. I don't even know what that is, but that's a lot of Sabbaths. Nobody healed her. And so on one Sabbath, Jesus sets her free. Right? What do they say? There are six days that people can get healed. Well, we've seen for 18 years, 52 Sabbaths a week, that means there's six times 18 days that you could have gone and healed her and you didn't do it. That's a lot. That's even more than Sabbaths. Six times more. See, you can make sacred cows out of things. And since Jesus came, we don't need to slaughter any more of those. Amen? So... The spirit of this world is seeking to control us, and they'll use all kinds of things to try to control us. And we can't be as dumb as sheep and follow everything. Trust me, I used to raise sheep. They are not the smartest critters in the world. Amen? They may be cute, but they ain't smart. (laughs) That's right. No wonder God refers to us as sheep, right? Amen. Amen. Godly government gets its authority, remember, from from the governed. From the laws of nature and nature's God. So when government tries to control, it literally is anti-Christ. It's it's built in a satanic nature. And it doesn't matter whether it's socialism. It doesn't matter whether it's communism, totalitarianism. It doesn't matter whether it's a theocracy. Now, a theocracy is a religious control. That's where you have one religion and they tell you exactly what you should do, when you should do it, how you should do it. The Church of England is a great example at the time of King George during the Revolutionary War. The church did not want, the Orthodox Church did not want Tyndall, Gutenberg, and all the rest of them to translate the Bibles from Latin, Greek, In Hebrew and English. Because they knew if you could read for yourself, they could no longer control you. See, theocracy. And theocracy could be the ultimate form of church government. But the problem is people. The flesh. The spirit of the Antichrist. That satanic spirit. And also monarchies. Same thing. If you look historically... Overwhelmingly, time and time and time and time again, these forms of government seek to stomp out free thought, free expression, free speech. They don't allow the free exercise. They don't allow self-governance. See, God is a covenant maker and covenant keeper. And He created mankind with wisdom. I mean, think about this. God gave Adam the job of naming everything. Right? God didn't say, "Well, now, Adam, you're, you're, I, I made you, a, and uh, you know, and you weren't doing so good by yourself. Therefore, I, I split you in half. I gave you a wife, and gave you, you, and now you're only a half wit." See, He didn't say that. What He said is, "Adam, I've given you everything that I have, so you name everything." See, and that's the way that's the way God is. He's made, He's given us wisdom. And He's given us everything He has, so that we can live like Him, free. And yet we can live together, cooperatively, and understand rules based upon principles. Amen. And He said, "Well, you know, there weren't any real principles in the beginning. Well, yes, there were. Look at the story of Cain and Abel. See, Adam had it inside of him. It was in him at that seed." of right and wrong were inside of Adam. And God expected that seed of right and wrong to be passed on from generation to generation and generation. We call it morality. You know, what's morally right to do? And we can see from Cain and Abel that there were lines. Obviously, murder crossed a line. You know, God said, hey man, sin lies at your heart. You don't take care of this, it's gonna become a problem. And Cain killed Abel because of envy and jealousy. You know, where there's envy and strife, there's every evil, every evil work. But God intended mankind to be free. And he's been making covenants with mankind so that they can operate in that freedom of thought, expression, and therefore worship. He made a covenant with Adam, He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham and then reiterated again uh, with Isaac, with Jacob, and with Moses, and with David. See, the Mosaic Covenant is a reaffirmation of the covenant that God made with Abram. Genesis 17. The Davidic Covenant is a reiteration of the promise that God made with Abram. And then Abraham. And then God gave another covenant. We call it the new covenant, the second covenant, the new and better covenant, but it came through Jesus. And it did not wipe away the old covenant. God did not take the first half of this thing and run it through a shredder and go, oh, it's gone. Because if he did, there's not enough information in what we have in the New Covenant to understand what, we, what the real blessing of the Old Covenant is. And Jesus said, hey, my words remain. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not destroy it. So what did Jesus deal with? Jesus dealt with the law of sin and death. Because remember, until Moses, sin existed But man didn't recognize it, right? Man didn't recognize it. And then to Moses, God said, wait a minute, you know, it's been a few thousand years. Obviously, something from Adam has dissipated. Therefore, I wiped out a whole world of people and left it with Noah. And that didn't go very well either, did it? Because Two-thirds of them went the wrong direction. But through Shem, the promise still existed. So God said to Moses, Hey, listen, I'm going to reveal to you the promise in my covenant and the things that are causing you death. And so he revealed to Moses the law of sin and death. The Mosaic covenant, the covenant given on uh, to Moses. And so... This new covenant that we have with Jesus is a covenant not only for or given to the Jews. Isn't that awesome? The new covenant is a covenant for Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles means people without God, which you are not. You were, but you are no longer. You know, and I I can tell you if you run into a Messianic Jew... He may refer to you as a Gentile, but you are not a Gentile. You are not without God any longer. Amen? In fact is, you are, by adoption, a Jew. God's people. Galatians 3.29. What does it say? And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. You have been grafted in. You are part of this covenant. You are part of the covenant that was given to the Jewish nation through Moses. The written covenant. Right? And the covenant for which Jesus fulfilled when he gave us a new and better covenant. So if you need to, don't look at it as an old and new covenant. Look at it as a first and second covenant. But the promises in the old covenant are still yours today. They're still mine today. Go with me to Genesis 17, 7. We read Galatians 3, 29, that if you're Abraham's seed, you're heir according to the promise. In Genesis 17, 7, what did God say to Abraham? And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations. For uh, how long? At least three of you are paying attention. An everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. It's everlasting. Now, last time I checked, everlasting is still going on. It didn't stop. It didn't stop because Jesus paid a price for sin and death on the cross. No, this covenant, the Abraham Abraham covenant is still going on. And you're an heir according to that promise because you are Christ. That's yours according to Scripture. Remember the promise from God to man that, that man's perfect obedience should entitle him to happiness. Do this and live. Do that and die. So go with me now to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. Well, I'm almost out of time, and this is where I stopped last time. Deuteronomy 28, verses... Uh, let's do Deuteronomy 28. We'll just read verses 1, 1 and 2 again this morning. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth, and all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you have obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. See, God has given us instructions to bless living here in Deuteronomy 28, and that is without Jesus. That's without Jesus. That's without the New and Better Covenant. And I would encourage you, when, you're, when you go home today, go ahead and read verses 1 through 14. But the problem is, we have a whole generation of covenant-devoid, selfish, entitled young people that are only seeking self satisfaction, so they don't understand the covenant. Why? Because their parents didn't teach them the covenant. Why? Because their parents didn't teach them the covenant? Because they didn't want to make people uncomfortable. And because they were willing to be satisfied with school not having prayer anymore. And they were okay with the Ten Commandments being taken out of buildings. They didn't get vo- vocal, they didn't object, they didn't put pressure on their elected officials. No, they went along to get along. But we are a godly nation. And that was the intention of the founding fathers that we would be a godly nation where anybody of any religious faith, of any ethnos, could come into this melting pot and experience this new form of government, this representative republic. And everybody could have a voice. That was the covenant. Now go with me to verse 15. Scoot down to verse 15. So Moses is still talking here because God had given this to him. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you to this day. Let's just pause there for a second. The curse is still operating today in the life of the unbeliever. Okay? The curse today is still living and operating in the life of the unbeliever. And it says that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. But in the life of the believer, the curse has been destroyed and replaced with a covenant of grace. So let me ask you a question. Why is the church then still living as if it is in this curse. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, the divorce rate among people who claim to be Christians is, is as high as it is in the world. Sickness and disease seems to be ravishing people who claim to be Christians just as much as it is in the universe. When you got born again, Jesus destroyed for you everything from verse 15 to the end of the book. Right there to the end of that chapter. Now, let's go ahead and go to verse 36 of chapter 28. Let me read this. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to the nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. I'm telling you, folks, that the covenant we have in America was not to end up here, but this is where they want to take you. They're talking about how good socialism is, how good Marxism is, how good communism is. Because they've been taught a historical lie. This new generation coming up does not understand the game that they're playing and the evil that they're allowing to come in to this nation. They don't know how bad they need the church. Because, see, they're trying to take us from the blessing which we are all... To live in, and because they are godless, they are trying to take us to the only thing they know, and that is the Babylonian uh, kingdom, the kingdom of curse, the kingdom of labor, toil, sweat, and slavery. That's where they're trying to take us to. See, you were not born under that, and you should not accept it for your life, because if you read... And I've heard many preachers use Malachi 3, 9. You know, bring all the tithes. How have you robbed me? And the Lord says, you have robbed me in the tithes and in the offering. And then in verse 9 it says, you are cursed with a curse. Well, you're not. And what God has blessed, no man can curse. Well, pastor, I, I, I missed paying tithes. And now is God going to do something to me? Well, yeah, he's going to love you, and he's waiting for you to do what it says, to ask for forgiveness, be forgiven, and come back into his good grace. The only way, and what has happened to much of the church, is they have rejected God, and I'm telling you, whatever a man sows, he will also reap, and because the church has rejected God, what the church has done is said, hey, we know better than you, God, Thanks for that blessing, but we know better. New revelation is replacing your word, God, because we know how to do this better. And God, there are parts in here that make me uncomfortable, so we're just going to tear those out. And so God has never intended for his people to live under the curse. He only intended for you to live under the blessing because you are blessed. And what God blessed, no man can curse. But you can do it to yourself. You can walk away from God. You can can grow so ignorant that you walk away from God and not even know it. And then what happens is your life is messed up. You start seeking alternatives. You start seeking doctors who will prescribe stuff for you. You start seeking any ways that you can make money and a living. You start trying to fulfill the hole inside with with, uh, sexual relationships, drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever you can get. But I'll tell you right now, there is nothing in this world big enough to fill that hole than Jesus and his word. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, keep my word. And I'll pray the Father and we'll come and we'll make our home with you. See, Jesus knows that you're supposed to be living the blessed life. In Deuteronomy 42 and 43, it says, Locusts will consume your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. And this is exactly what the church is allowing itself to do because it's not any longer preaching the word of God unrestricted. The church should be the bright light in the communities and what is happening. We are becoming the dim wits of the community. And that's how society is looking on us. They don't want to go to church. Why do I want to go there? They're broke, sick, and messed up relationally. See, it needs to change the house of God. We're blessed. We should be walking in the blessing of God. Verse 45, moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and the statutes which He commanded you. See, this is where covetless, God-rejecting, morality-avoiding people want to take us. And there's much of the church that just says, oh, just be nice, just go along, Let them teach alternative lifestyles to your kids. It's okay. Let them teach teach you that because of your skin color, you're racist. Let them teach you that because of their skin color, they need to pay reparations. They're not making things better, and they don't intend to. It's all tend to drive a bigger divide between each and every one of us in this nation so that no longer we are a a nation united, but that we become a nation divided. So then they can step in with their great secular hope and start providing you paychecks every month, retirements every month, free medical. Do you want to know what the number one cause of death now is in Canada? The number one cause of death in Canada. This is close to us, folks. Euthanasia. Canada has passed laws that allow somebody who thinks that that their life's going to become too expensive on their kids or has developed a sickness that medical science doesn't know how to treat to voluntarily do doctor-assisted suicide. And they're getting ready to expand it so it's not only the elderly, but also parents can seek that for kids that may have some issues in life that they can't overcome and are too financially expensive. See, this is what happens with socialized medicine. I don't want the government coming in and telling me that if they take $733 billion of our dollars, they'll lower my drug prices. I don't want them to do that. I want them to stay out of my life. They don't provide health care anyways. They provide disease management. And they don't do that very well. And I've never understood that. I've got a Christian insurance company who will not pay my naturopath, who is in the actual health care industry and business, but they'll pay a doctor who all he wants to do is give me medications and things to cover up symptoms. We have a system of right that has become wrong. We have people that are seeking their own desires instead of biblical desires. And if we don't stand up, church, in our generation, we are going to see things that we thought were unthinkable in the United States of America. We have got to stand up and say something. We have got to be the voice, we have got to be the Diedrich Bonhoeffers of our generation. We have got to stand for God. We've got to stand for our children. We've got to stand for liberty. We have got to stand for this country. Because if you won't do it, I guarantee you the world is not going to do it. But they need to see something different. They need to see a church empowered. A church willing to pray, to stand in faith. A church willing to believe and see the hand of God extended To see Jesus stretch out His arms and heal. And to see signs and wonders manifesting in your life. And it starts every day that we have a chance to interact with people. Jesus subdued the whole world with the gospel of Christ, one person at a time. That's where it starts, with us, one person at a time.
0: But we need to be bold. We need to be strong. Amen? You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Witwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior, and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona 85296.